Hello, and welcome to another episode of Climbing on the Bookshelf. This one is for all you Everest and 8,000 metre peak nutters, as I sit down and talk with Mick Conifray, an award-winning documentary maker and writer of Himalayan literature. His current book, The Last Great Mountain, The First Ascent of Kanjunjunga, is the story of Joe Brown's and George Band's first ascent of the mountain in 1955, and the expeditions that led up to it. You can purchase the book from Amazon. Some of the interview is a bit quiet and squeaky, but it's a really fascinating interview that I did at the end of August. I hope you enjoy it. So I'd like to welcome Mick Conifray. Mick, welcome to Climbing on the Bookshelf. Thank you for your time and coming on the show um, and having a chat about mountaineering books. Sure, yeah, I'm delighted. And was that the um, the right way to pronounce your surname? Uh, well, it's one of those names which is a little bit difficult. Because it's okay. Irish, and if it was, I always say to people, if it was O'Connorfrey, they would get it. Okay, uh, yeah. You are, you are pretty close, actually. A lot of, I get a lot of cone fries and okay sure fries. even from people who've known me for years they still can't pronounce my name yeah sure if i was called mick O'Connorfrey, then they'd say ah oh, good i get it you know what I mean? yeah. so maybe i should change it by d12 <laughs> <laughs> right um you've i've i've noticed that you've had got three books out um or you've written three books from what i can see um is they're all about the first ascents of the three tallest mountains in the world. Um, what sort of gave you the idea to, to sort of to write them? Well, actually, I have done more, um, but the okay. other were different. The um, I did a couple of TV books to go with TV series that I did, and then I did a couple of books which were much more playful in form. One was called The Adventurer's Handbook, and the other one was called How to Climb Mont Blanc in a Skirt was looking it was a kind of trying to find a different way to talk about the history of exploration and the yeah. other one was about female explorers and i had made a film about um the first ascent of everest for the bbc in i think 2003 and at okay. the time i was kind of surprised that that nobody had really written a book about it since 19 since the 1950s you know, when the the first ascent happened there was what you called an official account, um, which came out. And then Edmund Hillary wrote a book and a couple of the other climbers involved in it wrote a book. But really, you know, after that, there were no single books written about it. And we, obviously it appeared in lots of other books, kind of like Global Histories of Everest or whatever, but there was yeah. no single book about it. And I thought, well, that, this seems bizarre to me because it, there's a lot to say about it, which isn't in the official history. And and in a way, I, I always thought that it had been slightly sidelined because it was a sort of in, in some kind of respects a, a victim of its own success that everybody said, oh, it went with military precision clockwork. And I thought, well, that's not really true because I'd interviewed all of the surviving members of the, the Everest team and there were plenty of them in, in 2002 and 2003. And um, so... So anyway, so so then ten years later, I kind of thought, well, it's a sixtieth anniversary <laughs> coming up. So, you know, everybody always loves anniversaries, don't they? So, um, so 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 I kind of went away and I researched and um, and and wrote that book. And so that was so I'd written the Everest book, and then I'd also made a film about K two, and I I didn't really think there was as much new to say about K two, but. When I'd done the TV film, I'd always I'd felt there was a lot of material which we'd collected, which 
hadn't found a home in an hour's worth of television. So, so I thought it was worth doing. And and then, but then subsequently, it became much more interesting than I originally thought because I, I when we made the film, we focused on American ascents in the nineteen thirties and and fifties. Yeah but we didn't look at the Italian ascent and uh, I, I had no idea that it was so interesting and so controversial. Okay. And, and so that was, you know, that was, so that made it very interesting to write because I kind of felt there a little bit like the Everest one, but that, that, um, that I had something new to say about it, you know, and, but it was a particularly sort of vexatious controversy. Yeah. <laughs> so a lot of people thought oh, you can't possibly say some of these things, but, but nevertheless, they're all born out of proper research. So anyway, so I'd written those two. Yeah. And then I thought, uh, oh, well, I, I'm never going to climb all three of the highest mountains in the world. I wouldn't climb one of them, but <laughs> it'd be nice to write a trio of books. And so I started looking for a, a publisher to, to put out a book about Kanchenjunga. But unfortunately, it uh, I couldn't find anybody. And they all said the same thing. Oh, we like the idea. We like, no, they, they, we like the writing and like your other books, but we just don't think this one is going to sell because uh, nobody's ever heard of it and nobody can pronounce it. And sure. <laughs> so, yeah. um, and also I didn't at that point have anything to hook it onto. It was now anniversary to, that it, um, it, 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 it would coincide with. So anyway, so, but after doing this for a couple of years, I, I started writing it. I went to Kanchenjunga um, and, okay. um, and I thought, no, I'm going to write it and I'll self-publish it. And I was lucky enough to have a friend who worked in digital publishing okay. at uh, Brooks University in Oxford. And he helped me typeset it and design the book and did everything in terms of putting it on, you know, making it available. And so we published it and yeah. put it out on Amazon and and uh, through a company called Ingram Spark, were able to distribute it on paper. So, okay. um, you know, so I, I was sort of, you know, and the, the irony of it is even though the first ascent is British, I couldn't find a British publisher for it. I found a publisher in Poland for it. It's about to come out in Italy. Yeah. Um, so other people seem to be interested in it, even if I couldn't find a British. Yeah, because that was the first British one, wasn't it, I guess? It, well, it was, yeah, yeah, it was the first, you know, well, Everest was, obviously, but uh, the, if you want to, if you want to kind of, it depends whether you think Edmund Hillary was British. In 1953, they did. By 2003, yeah. perhaps they, they thought he was a Kiwi, you know. <laughs> he thought of himself as a Kiwi, but, um, you know, so, but, but it was also, the 55 was the first ascent of Kenshin Jogo, and it was, in some respects, a more notable achievement than the first ascent of Everest, you know, for how trying it was. And that was, um, trying to think what his name is, Joe Brown. Yeah. Wasn't the, it, I think, yeah. Yeah, the, 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 it was a very interesting... I can't remember the George was, someone, the other guy, I, thought, I can't remember yeah. what his name is. Yeah, the, the interesting thing was that uh, it was, the, you know, really, it is true that until the, until the mid-1950s, the most big British mountaineering expeditions of the Himalayas were filled with people from the same kind of schools, the same kind of class, the same kind of universities. And 1955, Kanchenjunga was changed things because for once, for the first time, really, you got somebody who's from a very different world. Um, and that was Joe Brown, who yeah. was very young, you know, much younger than most of the people who'd gone to the Himalayas, um, who was working class, who was a builder. 
Um, yes. And he was a, a, a totally different kind of character. I mean, there, there had been others. There had been Alf Gregory was a, a travel agent who was part of the Everest 1955 team, but he, he was much okay. older and a more established sort of guy. Whereas Joe Brown really was a sort of, I was thought of him as this sort of, although this, this will show you how old I am. He was a sort of Theo Walcott. And it was a bit like that, but uh, but Joe Brown then subsequently turned out to be one of the great British climbers. And, yeah, yeah, because he climbed uh, quite a bit with um, Don Willens, I think I remember, as well. He did quite a lot of stuff with him. Yeah, uh, the other person who was with him, though, George Band, was equally impressive and interesting. He had been on Everest in 1953, but had had a terrible stomach problems, which put him out of action yeah. for most of the key part of the expedition, so... Um, and he was totally, he was exactly the Oxbridge public school boy. Um, Moving on to, um, actually, have you got any plans to write any more books? Um, maybe the next highest one, uh, well, people uh, Lotsy or something like that. Uh, uh, no, I'm actually just finishing a book now coming out next year, which is the prequel to my Everest book, which is uh, called uh, Everest 1922. Okay, can you can you is it can you talk a bit about that? Uh, well, Everest 22 is the story of the first expedition, and uh, okay. which happened in 1922. It was a reconnaissance expedition in 1921, but the first attempt on Everest proper. Yeah, was in 22 and. Um, it's very interesting because a little bit like the the 1953 Everest expedition, it, it, it sort of never quite got the attention that it deserved because okay. everybody became very focused on what happened in, in on the following expedition when Mallory and Irving disappeared. And so yes. you know, people are interested in, you know, did they get to the top, the moot point, the only interesting question. But hmm. what what is interesting about 1922 is that it is it is the first you know, proper big Himalayan ex- expedition. It, it yeah. sort of set the pattern for, for everything to come, really, for the next sort of 40, 50 years, arguably. Um, yeah. And um, and it has these great characters in it. Um, people like George Finch, uh, the Australian scientist, George Mallory, okay. the school yeah. teacher, General Bruce, the <laughs> archetypal larger-than-life character. Yeah. So it's populated with these kind of quite interesting sometimes eccentric characters and um like 1953 it has you know it, it was seen as a sort of something of national importance or certainly yes, it's organized yes. whip it up into that and and so it has quite a lot of tension involved because there's a lot riding on its success or failure and uh and so that's that makes it very interesting and and you know what was great about this early period yeah. um, was that everybody kept lots of paperwork or everybody generated lots of, of paperwork at the time and, and most of it was kept you know so, so there's a lot of accounts of everything yes a lot of accounts a lot of diaries a lot of le- letters you know um, there's a mass of material in the uh, Royal Geographical Society and yeah you know, by drawing on that and sort of you know triangulating all these different accounts of the same event, you can kind of come up with quite a rich, interesting picture, you know. And, yeah. and, and as I say, it's a very kind of character-driven story. And the characters are, are good because they're quite clearly defined. And, uh, um, 
and it's full of kind of incident and there's a great sense of kind of culture clash with all these Brits going off to Tibet <laughs> and encountering all these things that they, <laughs> they, they, they've got no understanding of and, the, yeah. the, and equally the Tibetans being a bit bemused by what they're doing, you know, but, um, and so it's very exotic and it's just, it's a good, you know, I was drawn to all of these things for looking for, you know, I'm interested in sort of, you know, telling good tales. Yeah, you know, like exploration and, and things tales. like that, yeah. Yeah, that, that they, they they sort of have good characters and yeah. tension and there's drama and things go right and things go wrong. <laughs> um, and, um, you know, and also the, the, the kind of good thing about about Everest, you know, in comparison, the, the, the difficulty with the book I did about Kanchen Junga was that, you know, I, I looked at the other attempts on it from prior to the successful British attempt, and um, it, it involved lots and lots of topographical descriptions of things using, you know, technical language of arrets and and things which which are very hard to get across on paper, really, and. Uh, but that was necessarily part of it because everybody was kind of trying it from different sides. So some would have a go from Nepal and some would have a go from um, the Sikkimese side and then somebody yeah. else would try from a slightly different bit of Nepal. Um, and they, they, all the trips were kind of complicated. The, the mountain topography was complicated. Whereas for the first um, expedition to Everest from the Tibetan side, it's actually pretty simple, you know, go along a big glacier, you climb up to this feature called the North Coal. Then you get onto this other feature, which is very straight ridge, which takes you, you know, to within about 1,500 foot of the summit called the um, the North Ridge. And okay. and then after that, you head for the summit and it gets a bit more complicated, but it's still quite easy to follow and easy to understand. Yeah. Whereas some of the... the you know, particularly some of the German expeditions to Kanchenjunga, they're very hard to kind of to quite understand what's going on because the, the, the actual terrain is so complicated that they're going across, you know. Yeah. So, um, so again, I think it kind of makes it easy to follow, easy to understand, you know. So with these books, did you get to travel to the mountains and see them firsthand? Yeah. Obviously, you, you went up to the Royal Geographical Society to have a look at paperwork and things like that, but... I'm just interested if you actually got out to to see it for yourself and kind of be in awe of them and how big they are. Yeah, well, I, I was lucky that I'd been to Everest and and K two to make documentaries. Well, I'd been to all of those to those mountains, and then yes, for Kanchenjunga, I went out to Kanchenjunga. I didn't climb it; I just trekked to the base camp. Sure, yeah. Um, and uh, for this for the Everest twenty two book. Um, I've been doing that over the last couple of years when obviously, um, you know, in the coronavirus period. So I very much like to go to Tibet, but Tibet has been closed to um, all outsiders um, basically since the sort of beginning of lockdown in, in, in you know, um, the beginning of the coronavirus. So it hasn't yeah. been able to get out. I, I, I was trying to concoct a plan with a friend to go and <laughs> follow some of the, the route Moving on to um, books from your past or reading books from your past, um, were there any books that kind of stand out for you that kind of inspired you to, to get into mountaineering literature and, and, and exploration? You know, I, I was very much a kind of voracious. I've always been, 
you know quite a big reader from childhood and um and so you know so so i've always read a lot but but you know if i'm honest with you not really in terms of mountaineering literature that that came when i was researching the documentaries so when i was doing that but i also tried as far as possible to to interview people when they were survivors so i interviewed joe brown and I, yeah the um, Charles Evans widow and you know I much prefer to meet okay. people than to spend my time simply reading books but um, and but then I did read a lot of mountaineering books you know in the process of doing the research yeah there's sort of it, 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 it's an interesting field I don't I don't know who I love Eric Shipton's books very funny very light or not not, not funny but they're, they're kind of witty and they they, they move quickly is fantastic autobiography and it makes you really envious of his life. I liked him and I liked Bill Tillman, his climbing partner, and I think he, he's fantastic. The, the expedition accounts often tended to be, you know, they'd be banged out very quickly after um, after the expeditions in order to make money, really, to sort of capitalise on the publicity. So yes, that's they're right, not yeah. fantastic yeah. of literature. I mean, I think that, um, you know, I mean, I remember like what you've just done, being, you know, really fascinated by Into Thin Air because, you know, there you yeah. have a journalist, um, you know, who was, you know, quite a, a good journalist, written quite a few books before that, in the middle of a kind of fantastic story, you know, and I'm not, I'm, I, I'm, I don't think he wanted to go there and find lots of dead bodies and sort of... <laughs> lots of I don't think that was his plan, no, no. Yeah, I, I don't think that was the issue, but, you know, it was a fantastic eye-opener to that world which sort of was so different to you know that what what you'd previously read about you know and uh, so I thought that was a terrific book and I liked um there's a book called The Last Blue Mountain to, uh, a mountaineering disaster in the Himalayas which is fantastic but it, it starred you. there was a character called Tony Strether who was a brilliant British mountaineer who was on K2 and Kanchenjunga and yeah. um, and it was a tale of a kind of terrible, terrible disaster, uh, with an amazing, you know, amazing uh, story of of survival as well. Yeah, sure. So, yeah. I mean, you, what you appreciate in in these kind of books is is seeing what happens to people under extreme pressure, and, yes. and that's a great book about people under the most extreme pressure. You know? Yeah. I'm just in the in the middle of reading um, Ed Caesar's book, The Moth and Mountain. All oh, right, yeah, yeah. Um, that's a quite an interesting, a rollicking adventure sort of thing, right. you know. Right. That's um, that's that's really good. Yeah, um, yeah. I'm enjoying that. Yeah, yeah. It's um, it's a great story because it combines together both, um, you know, it, 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 it's a story of personal trauma. It's a story of the First World War. Yeah, that's it. Yeah, it's a flying yeah. story, you know, and it's yeah. a mountaineering story. So it's a fantastic crossover book written with a lot of sort of verve and sort of personality to it as well. Yeah, so, yeah, yeah. It's it's it's, it's, but it's a great story. Um, yeah, I mean, I, I don't know for recent, but I mean, I love, love Stephen Venable's books are fantastic. Um, the first Brit to climb. Everest without oxygen, and I think he's terrific. David Roberts, who unfortunately... A few weeks ago, wasn't it? Yes. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. He's a very good... The Last Blue Mountain is by Ralph Barker. Okay, uh, I'll have to look that one out. Yeah, definitely. Or the expedition to Mount Haramush. Okay. It's kind of 
available now now but yeah. um okay. i liked walter bernati's books as well he was but again he had a kind of great life it's that sort of era the sort of 30s 40s and 50s you know that's sort of my kind of that's what i like most about the sort of mountaineer literature those sort of sort of pre post war sort of era where things were very very rudimentary and they did suffer but they still just got on and did it and you know it's it's i find it really interesting yeah, I think it's. I, I, I was talking about this to somebody recently about, you know, the, the kind of comparisons that you could make between um, the climbers of the nineteen twenties and the, and and you know, and you, because you're kind of looking at at what they did and trying to work out how, how they did it, and you know, yeah. I you do wonder sometimes if if they were just a lot physically tougher than we would be now. You know, if you think about yeah. Edward Norton. The, the British climber and Howard Somerville yes. getting to within a thousand feet of Everest on 1924. Nobody knows really what happened to Mallory and Irving, but you can definitely, you know, we know for certain that um, that Edward Norton got to within a thousand foot of the summit and yeah. and knew when to stop <coughs> and came back alive. You know, uh, wearing you know fairly rudimentary clothing with um, rudimentary footwear, ice axes. You know, they, they were all able to endure phenomenal cold and horrible, you know, terrible weather. And, yeah. um, and you know, if, or if you read going further back, the um, accounts of Edward Wimper, the Victor, I love Edward Wimper's books. They're fantastic. Yeah. Uh, the Victorian mountaineer. But, you know, he, he would walk from London to Edinburgh and not think anything of it. So I've been to the Andes and, um, you know, I've, I, been up some of the volcanoes that he went up and, and he would write oh you know we just we strolled up Cotopaxi and it was so easy I didn't understand what all the fuss was about and then we moved over to Ch Chimborazo it yeah. really is an easy mountain it, there's nothing to say about it you think I said well Chimborazo is quite hard actually and you think well how can he be saying this is he do is it an act of bravado on his behalf was it that the topography yeah. was slightly different to how it is now yeah, as it's changed yeah the city yeah quite so much or, or was it that he really thought nothing of it? He really thought this is an absolute doddle. Uh, so, um, you know, I think that, uh, yeah, so so that is intriguing that for the people from that period, the sort of, whereas, you know, now you kind of, sure, there are people who are very tough and very hardy, and, um, but equally they're, they, they're frequently cocooned in technology. And... Yeah, so the equipment and things have, have, is what's brought it on and made it not easier, but, but it's, it's helped a lot. I think. Yeah, I mean that. I mean, obviously, on the other hand, I mean, you have to take your hats off to um, Reinhold Messner and Alex Honnold. Absolutely, yes. That they are, you know, the, 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 in his day. I mean, probably there's never going to be somebody like Reinhold Messner again because, I mean, he was just phenomenal. I mean, uh, yeah. And that had nothing to do with equipment. It was just to do with you know sheer fitness and toughness and. Yeah. single focus you know and obviously Alex Honnold is a phenomenal free climber uh, yeah it's a slightly different thing but but as I say what interests me is just to know you know well these Victorians they kind of slept with their windows open bathed in cold water you know the things that we now think yes. are, the things that you know you, you read about it in the Sunday Times and they say have a cold shower and it'll be good for you they just did it by <laughs> naturally so um, yeah so it does make them interesting you know if you um, obviously you've you've travelled quite a lot, um, either research or 
or whatever you were doing. Um, have you got a favourite place that you just sit down and think, yeah, this is this is an amazing place? I, I mean, I have to say, I, I um, have really enjoyed the times I've been in Nepal. Um, yeah. And I, I saw some photographs the other day of, of South Korea, uh, which in fact has got a lot of mountains. And, um, and it had, it was this amazing picture which just showed layer upon layer of mountains of different height in uh, South Korea. And it reminded me- I think me, I might have seen that as well, yeah. Oh, okay. Well, it, it reminded me of some of the kind of vistas you got in Nepal, not, not around the really big mountains, but slightly further inland, you know, slightly further south of the Himalayas. Yeah, and uh, um, where you would get these kind of just beautiful layers of hills, and then they would change color, and you know, and that was really and the clouds and the mist between them, and things yeah. like that. And, yeah, so um, so I do, do like Nepal. I've been, um, I do like Alaska. It's a fantastic place. Have you? Do you? When you when you go away um, and do the research and stuff, do you take a book with you to make notes in and? Um, a tape recorder, not a tape recorder, I'm sounding old-fashioned now, um, and kind of interview people that well, I, are about. If I was interviewing people, yes, I would use a, um, a little digital voice recorder. Yeah. And, you know, like, uh, I'm, I'm chained to my laptop, which goes everywhere. Yeah. Yeah. As I say, the thing is, you, there's no substitute for finding original material, and you want to get down to the nitty-gritty of going through sometimes it's frustrating because you will have a correspondence where you've only got one half of it and you're trying to work out oh, what did the other person say and yeah. what does this response really mean you know so you, you, you know you, you can kind of fool yourself by finding a lot of archive into thinking that you've got all of it but you can never quite know whether you've got all of it but but certainly it's exciting to kind of come across George Mallory's letters in the original or the original camp diaries from from the 1920s of um which they had as they were going up everest you know and and they're fantastic documents you can get now like a lot of the stuff increasingly which is great in some respects increasingly it's becoming available online a lot of the rgs's archive will soon be available in in other libraries but there's nothing like the kind of tactile quality of of sort of you know finding a book of old telegrams or sometimes cursed with people with terrible handwriting <laughs> looking at these letters and thinking can i be bothered to spend an hour transcribing these things which i can barely read because I've, I've seen that there there are the um alpine club has released some back issues of, of paperwork and things and you can that's all online and magazines yeah. and that's yeah. that's that's really good to see those from from that sort of you know past explorations and expeditions that's that's really interesting to see digital stuff is great and again in the year of, of coronavirus you want to be able to kind of um to make things accessible and this is a way yeah. accessible but it's it, it, you know as i say there's an excitement of actually touching yeah of the going there and seeing the things at yeah. first hand yeah. yeah are there any books that you want to read or know that are, know that are um coming up and you think yeah I'm, i must get that when it comes out or climbing books um mountaineering or adventure books or any of that sort of genre really well i mean it's sort of difficult to, to know i mean yeah. uh, what is gonna 
what people are going to write about. I mean, obviously, Alex Honnold and Conrad Anker and um, those Americans who did that free solo in Yosemite. Yeah. They're very busy at the moment. So uh, um, it'll be interesting to see what they come up with. It'll be interesting to see whether anybody will come out with a new take on the um, the Mallory and Irving story. There was a book recently by Mark Synot. But I, I don't know. You know, now we're getting to the, to the levels of of slightly strange conspiracy theories, the, the latest of which appears in his book, which is the, the idea that that um, Irvin's body will never be found because it's been stolen by the Chinese. <laughs> Truth is often stranger than fiction, but that, fiction, but that seems to me to be very, very unlikely. I mean, yeah. but, uh, but to see whether anybody comes up with a new version of that, we, we shall have to, we shall have to see. I don't know. Yeah, because it was Comrade Anker and. David Roberts that wrote the book about him finding his body, yeah. Mallory's body on there. And that was quite an interesting yeah. read. But obviously there are other reports, like you said, the, the Synop book as well that has just come out. And there's always something that somebody else is trying to disprove and things like that. Yeah. Well, I mean, you know, ultimately there is a sort of, there is a, it was, you know, there was a limit really. I mean, what, what, what was interesting when I did my, Book on K two and looked at the the controversy at the end as to whether they yeah. actually reached the summit climbing on oxygen or not. Um, yeah. A lot had been written about this, and this had been in a very heated and vitriolic way uh, because the personalities involved um, were, you know, were very strong egos, and uh, and they really yeah. went at each other. And um, and then there were other people who picked up on the story and and taken one side or another. Um, and then some people have looked at the photographic evidence and and come said, ah, oh, well, this is definitive. This proves everything exactly, you know. Um, but the interesting thing was that nobody looked at the film footage because it was very inaccessible, you know, that until yes. comparatively recently you couldn't get this stuff on DVD, you know, so it just wasn't shown, it wasn't available. And so, so all these debates have been going on, but nobody had actually bothered looking at the the original film and then if you read the original yeah. film you know it, it did give you a new take on it because whereas black and white photographs are kind of single moments in time um you know color movies tell a kind of a different story a much more rounded story because there's information in the color that you kind of it's not just what happens in a particular moment it's what happens around that moment yeah and yeah. um you know but so with <laughs> obviously Mallory and Irvin the kind of there has been this notion that if if you ever find the camera, you will be able to prove whether they they managed to get to the summit or not, which is obviously, you know, it's kind of rather dubious. Uh, um, but nevertheless, that still fuels a lot of uh, um, of searches and it gets people very excited and stuff. Yes. But, yeah. But I would also like to see what Alex Hunnell does next and and the books that he writes about his further kind of, I think they've all been down in the Antarctic. So far, the, the mountains of the moon have been in yeah. Africa near to Uganda and Rwanda, but, you know, it won't be that long before the, the real mountains of the moon that will be climbed, and we'll have to see what the yes. accounts of those will be like. Yeah, it's been, it's, it's been really good speaking to you. Thank you so much. All right, then. Lovely to um, speak. Cheerio. Thank you.